Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You take someone with the spiritual connection that DMX has, the relentless energy, how big those tracks were. I mean, he had two number one albums in one year. He can mm-hmm. pick 20 songs from those two albums only and be okay, right? You've got his first five albums all went number one. Outside of You of the Dog, I'm pretty sure there's four songs that were huge in those years. So in a fractured 20-song environment with a spiritual dude talking to Jesus, you know, and, and he had big hits, I'm not sure that is a safe place for Jay-Z to hang. I think if I will always be a boy for the people. Hey, huh? With the fancy red background, what's going on, man? Yeah, you got Mozzie behind you, too. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. Doing for one mile. Yeah. Yo, are you up on uh, um, Guap Daddy 4000? Oh, the, uh... I've been talking about him quite a bit. Yeah. I've been checking for him, but... How do you like him? You know, it's weird. He, it, it's like, it reminds me of Blueface. You know how, like, you know, just one week, like two years ago, whatever it was, like everybody just started talking about Blueface at the same time? Yeah. That's how I feel about Guap. Um, and uh, I checked him out. I like him. I like him. I mean, he's been doing it a minute, though. He was on, he was on um, you know, Buddy's Harlan and Alondra album. Yeah, I mean, he's right. been making noise for a couple years now, but definitely he's used quarantine to raise his stock up a lot. Yeah, he's yeah. Job with that. And did he do a deal with um with uh Dreamville? That's news to me. I do know he was at um, you know, the uh R O T D three sessions, but he's with somebody else. I actually did his press bio a little over a year ago, and he's um he's with I wanna say he's with the same management group as like Anderson Pack, but I could be wrong. He he's he's well he's well staked, let's put it like that. Got you. You hold him back. You can hold him back. You be doing that. You slick. Jay, be slick, Justin. I'm, I'm nah, man. That. I mean, I'm just trying to get on your guys' level. That's all. <laughs> no boundaries. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. I am Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And this week, we've got family in the building. The company man, Justin Hunt, joins us. What's going on, guys? Word up, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thank yeah, man. You. It's been a minute. I haven't seen you since, uh, you know, pre uh, pre quarantine days. It's been it's been a while, dog. How you been holding up, Justin? Uh, quarantine has been good for me. You know, yeah. <clears throat> I, uh, I I started calling it refresh. I stopped calling it the quarantine, and I think uh, I've seen a lot of you know people start becoming more self reflective. I think people have I've seen a lot of people put new processes in place so they can become more efficient. I've seen people deal with family stuff and addiction stuff and you know i honestly think that when life gets back to normal or the new normal uh you know more people will be more prepared than we expect that's how i feel yeah well how does that apply to you i mean what what have you changed well i mean it for me it's great because since leaving empire and then 
becoming more consistent on content again, I've had no distractions. <laughs> like there aren't events to go to. There aren't listening sessions to go check out. And one thing that can be challenging for me on the creative side is, you know, having to go do a bunch of business stuff or relationship stuff or lunches or dinners and then finding myself in a position where I can just flow creatively is consistently a challenge. And that hasn't been the case at all. So uh, it's been great for me. My AC broke in my place, but (laughs) you know, like part of me is like, that's given to fix it, but then the other part of me is like, I don't want to die. So, so, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I'm not sure. Balance, what right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, like, one, which way do I go? Come on later. Come on later. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, but so it's been great. I've been my channel's more active now. I've got 20 pieces of content just scheduled for the next month, which allows oh, me wow. the opportunity just to focus on longer form pieces, both editorial. I've started writing reviews again. Um, I've got another feature next week. Uh, submitting for revolt so that's good and then um so i have a bunch of interviews i've been conducting over zoom and skype over the past couple of weeks i've got a bunch of evergreen conversations with all out show that are up there uh i started a new show called debate down first episodes with mers i think it's going to be different people each week Uh, so that's you know 10 topics over five videos and that puts me in place to start doing more drips or new music based stuff a new, a one original news piece a week and then breakdowns every saturday Man, so it's cool. like getting that the uh knowledge flow happening again is most important where where's uh where are your reviews where do they live well this one's on revolt so i just did a review for mozzie's uh beyond bulletproof so that's okay. something right now there you uh, go. that's a video or editorial editorial i might make it a video i mean it's more of a think piece than is a review on the album yeah but uh you know, we'll see. Words. So you talk about a refresh, man. Um, there's a New York Times article this week acknowledging that hip hop has led the way in the, in the entertainment refresh, uh, you know, how things are going. Um, you know, D-Nice with Club Quarantine and Swiss Beats with and Tim with Versus. And to me, Versus has been one of the best things to happen in, you know, in years for me, just for the culture. Um, you know, of course, we started with with, uh, with Tim and Swiss. Now, I missed that one. I missed Manny and Scott. You know, I caught both those recaps, but I started really locking in with Primo and RZA, and then Teddy Riley and Face, Baby Face. But last night, Saturday night, with Jill Scott and Erica Badu, it was a whole different level. You know, uh, it was joyous. I, I said to somebody, I felt like. It was three hours, and I felt like I did after, like, game seven of the finals that went into overtime. It was that level of fulfillment, you know, where every single minute I was engaged, locked in, and just, like, joyous. Like, But what did you guys – did you guys catch it, first of all, and what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I caught it in real time, and uh, I was really I was really impressed. This one, definitely, I don't know if, if either of you would agree. Justin, did you did you watch it live? No, I've, I've watched the uh, YouTube playback. So okay. Halfway through, we'll say. Yeah. This one, I mean, it didn't have the air of competition. It had the air of, like, mutual respect. Not to say that others of these have been super, like, chippy or anything like that, but this one was really just kind of like a celebration of music in a really cool way. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I think that the versus aspect of these battles becomes less a competition and more celebration, just in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is part of the power of them, you know, there's no 
anger and animosity necessarily there, but there's so much education and there's so many people tuning in who forgot songs, who didn't know, yeah. you know, who produced certain things. I mean, when I think about the Neo Austin, you know, battle, you know, I'm sitting there like, dang, I forgot that John to Austin, John to, it's John to John to, I always mess it up. But I was asking forget, the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget how many stuff he made. Yeah. You know, the, um, the thing I thought set it off really great last night for Jill Scott and, uh, Erica Badu is they played the same song first. Both yeah. of them played the same song at the beginning. Got it out the and, way. And Jill Scott's story about it was so, you know, complimentary of Erica Badu. You know, she's like, you know, this is the first time I'd ever wrote a song for anybody. You know, this is the first time you'd ever let anybody write a song for you. And you were in traffic one day for a show and it was the first time I got on stage, you know? And so those type of glimpses, I think, are what make this whole series so powerful. Yeah, I love the stories, you know. Uh, we've all heard the music, right? Um, but the stories are what take it over the top. And they they took their time with it. They breathed, man. Um, you know, it was, it was also interesting to me that, um, you know, with Jill. And so Erica, I probably listen to every week. You know, I don't think there's been a week that's gone by since you dropped where I didn't hear some Badu music. So her catalog, I'm intimately familiar with, like, track listings, the whole nine. I love Jill, too. I mean, she's one of my favorite artists. I've seen her in concert multiple times, but I don't study her albums like that. And so she was hitting me with joints that, like, just reminded me of how strong her catalog is. You know, she doesn't have the same kind of, like... um well, actually, she's got radio hits, too, but, you know, just not that kind of catalog that you go back to. And so Rolling Hills, when that came on last night, just just blew my mind. And I, I listened to it probably six or seven times since. And I woke up this morning thinking, wait a minute, the change, the change is the chords to Everybody Loves the Sunshine. You know, um, it's a real, like, you know, simplistic breakdown. of I was like, okay, that's why it's cracking my cranium so hard. But just being able to kind of re-experience her catalog was a joy for me last night, too. Yeah, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I uh, I graduated high school in 2002 at a time when both of these women, you know, you know, Jill especially, like, I remember going to prom and, like, hearing um, – you know, music in the car. Like it's, it's just a, it's a walk back to a really sentimental time in my life. And that was great last night as well. I, I'm not finished with the live again. It looks like Jill Scott didn't play daydreaming. Did that not happen? <laughs> she didn't play daydreaming. She didn't play golden. Uh, she didn't play golden. And, but, but I got a theory on that. Um, so it was supposed to go 20 rounds, as you guys know, it only went 17, I believe 17 and a half because Erica had some technical difficulties and Jill played a couple, but she ended with cross my mind. Um, and, you know, there's a tie to it, which I want to get to in a second. There's two, there, there were three nods to something monumental that happened this weekend that I want to get into too. So one was Erica told a story about, you know, the beginning of on and on. Now everybody, you know, most hip hop heads know that dun, 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 is like the um, reference to audio two and top billing and stuff like that. But last night she shared the story about how it was also a knock at the door and she wanted to like knock and let Mary J. Blige know, you know, with that real love beat that she was, she was on the scene that she was coming, yeah. right? Which I thought was dope. I'd never heard that story before. That was crazy. She also wore some special glasses um, last night. And then Jill Scott played a song, 
her last song for a reason last night. So Erica's glasses were a tribute to Andre Harrell. And apparently Swiss Beats had told Jill Scott that Andre Harrell had been looking forward to hearing the song Cross My Mind. So that's how Jill finished it. So they both paid multiple tributes to someone that we lost um, this weekend, uh, Andre Harrell, you know, so, you know, people know about Puff Daddy, people know about, you know, Russell Simmons. Andre is a one who did not get the same level of praise and shine as those guys, but had as much impact as anyone um, in black music over the last 40 years that I can, that I can recall, you know, what did he mean to you guys, you know, um, and what are some things about his legacy that like will live on for you? I mean, go, go ahead, Justin. I, you know, I, I look at the success that the people he was affiliated with also achieved, uh, you know, after, you know, their careers went in different directions, you know, Diddy was become a powerhouse under Andre Harrell's tutelage, you know, um, Mary J. Blige, you know, uh, the way people who spent a lot of time with him describe him, uh, the interviews and the, you know, opportunities I've been around him, he was always smiling. And, you know, for someone to be that successful but also that relentless and have that many projects who are able to be successful even after their business arrangements and to me is the most powerful statement and you know i'm not sure what success looks like if you're not making other people other people better if you're not lifting other people to places where even maybe they didn't see themselves getting and he has a lot of icons that came from his you know wing of the entertainment tree and I think that speaks to his legacy yeah I mean I really admire Andre for being um, a behind the scenes figure I mean obviously he was recognizable to anyone paying attention but he was more in my opinion behind the scenes than like a Russell Simmons in the 80s and I love the fact that he came out of making music you know with Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde and ascended into this truly a mogul um, that to me is cool and took that and went to film, went to television, went to all of these different places um, and, and kept a low profile like that. Those are some of my favorite execs in, in hip hop. You know, I love the, uh, you know, the Jay-Z's and the, the, you know, Dames and Puffies and all of that. But like you said, Justin, I mean, Andre empowered those around him where, you know, people associated Uptown as much with, you know, Teddy Riley or Heavy D as they did him, in my opinion. Um, and I just think that's a really, really cool feat, you know, and he wasn't above then, you know, going to bad boy and help making that strong. And later on, all these other little ventures, you know, Motown and Revolt and so on and so forth. Yeah, you know, I bought uh, Champagne of Rap, the cassette, when it came mm. out, you know, back in the day. Um, wow. And, you know, I don't, I'd never heard any of the songs or anything like that, but I saw like something in the, the rap section with two dudes in suits, you know, and ties. And, you know, one dude was wearing glasses. And I'm like, yeah, what is this? Um, so I checked it out. And, you know, the album didn't blow me away. I, I got to be honest. Like, uh, you know, there's a couple songs that were cool and everything. But it wasn't my bag. But when I started hearing Uptown, Uptown was probably, okay, so there were two labels back in the 80s where no matter what came out, I was going to check it out. The first was Taboo. 
Clarence Avon, you know, you got, you know, Alexander O'Neill, Sherelle, SOS Band, like anything that dropped on Taboo, I was going to check out. But then Uptown dropped and it was the same thing, but it was this like fusion of everything I loved, R&B, rap music, but it was upscale, it was aspirational, you know, so you had Heavy and then Guy and Jodeci and Mary and, you know, all these people and, you know, Heavy spawned Pete Brock and, you know, um, then Puff came and just his legacy is, most people don't know him unless they're insider executives, but they know every single person that he touched, Halle Berry. You know, like uh, Halle Berry's career launched because of him. And you know, she did Jungle Fever, but her star turn was um, strictly business, you know. And so for me, as a young man uh, wanting to be in the entertainment business, he was the guy that I looked to. Like, I wanted to be uh, that guy because he took it a level. I believe he took it to film and television even before Russell did with Uptown Entertainment. And, you know, um, uh, he kind of, showed us as aspiring black executives that there was a path toward all of it not just rap music but all things in hollywood so you know um he would definitely be missed but you know rest in peace andre harrell yeah it seemed like too getting back to the battle that text for jill to end the set that way i feel like that text came in during the battle from swizz Mm. so we kind of mentioned that song like she seemed visibly affected enough to play that joint to close and that was just a beautiful way of um you know ending it yeah yeah you know so we talked about the refresh earlier um and what this really is so do you guys think that like artists are in the lab now just like making some of the best music that we're going to hear from them i hope so <clears throat> i don't know if i can qualify whether it's going to be better or worse i think a, a number of artists pull inspiration from life experiences and you know I'm not sure how much life they're experiencing, even though I think they might be more introspective. I'm curious about what types of sounds come out. I think we might hear more range and styles and sounds because like the baby, for example, you know, I'm a big fan of the, of the baby, right? He just released another project and blame it on baby. And it sounds just like his project before in a lot of ways. And like the project before that Kirk and uh, uh, I can't think of the other one right now. And so I wonder if he had made that album when everything was locked down, if he was working on this project when it was locked down, would it still sound like it's for the club? Is, is it still going to be a bouncy album? Is it still all about bops? Is it, is it still targeting um, mass groups, right? And I personally think no. I don't think that most people are in that space now since everyone is, has stay-at-home orders. So I'm more interested in the sounds and the introspection, but I don't know if it'll necessarily be better or worse. Cause I don't think about a lot of these artists as making things for themselves as much as they're making things for opportunity or uh, playlisting or, uh, you know, festival bookings, you know, generally speaking, there's a balance that a lot of the successful artists are able to hit where they're at least most revered artists are able to hit where they're themselves, but also able to connect with most people. And, that's few and far between in far in between. So I don't know if the music would be better or worse because I'm not sure if, if these types of, if, if, if everyone has the same, you know, reps, everyone has the same target, you know, everyone has the same, you know, um, goals. Uh, but I think the sounds, I'm curious about what the sounds sound like when we're not all in the same place hearing something that hits 
and then inevitably go back home with like, I got to get something on that wave, which I think happens a lot. I don't think, so my question is like, what, what's everyone, like, what's the disparity (laughs) going to be like? Like what, what is the range of new sounds, which I think it's in itself could lead to a renaissance in production. Um, But I'm more curious about that than whether or not the artists are working. They all, have studios at their home i'm not sure if their reps or their situations change that much uh and i wonder what they're going to talk about because if you have two months away from being around people and hearing what people have to say are you know what is that what direction does that take you yeah you know i think it is an opportunity for more originality because like you know people aren't in the same place and reacting to the same thing at the same time I do think that dance music will continue to be a big part of it, um, but the the venue for dance is shifting from the club to um, to um, uh, TikTok. You know, um, I think most dance music will be designed to get people in their homes doing routines and stuff like that. You know, and Drake kind of led the way with that with with Tusi Slide. Um, you know, I also think that. Um, people will be a bit more locked in, a bit more focused for the, the same reasons that, that, that you mentioned up top. So um, I could see like, you know, it, it does, it's not going to be an advantage for people like Kendrick and, you know, those who just hold up and like just live and breathe in the studio. But I think for other artists who are more distracted and, you know, on social media and like hanging out and stuff like that, they will just be in just kind of digging in. So I'm curious to see how it pops up for them. But Jake, what about you? I'm really pleased that, you know, when this first happened, I thought that we would just see everybody just putting stuff out. You know, it was one of my, I feel like, you know, in the last decade, sometimes during the holidays when people tended to be home and, you know, kind of bored with their families, like artists would 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 drop a lot of, you know, surprise projects and albums and songs and freestyles and things like that and really just kind of jam up the canon. And that hasn't been the case. You know, I mean, we've seen... Obviously, like Jay Electronica released his album uh, the week, I think, before, you know, um, kind of the shutdown. But we've seen like, you know, West Side Gun, which was an album that he had made in early March, if I'm not mistaken, or or February or January, sometime earlier this year before it. People haven't been flooding the market. And I do think there's a push of quality as much, if not more of quantity. And I mean, that's one of the things that Ambrosia for Heads always stood for. But I'm so glad that people with these home studios aren't just like, you know, these are the quarantine sessions, boom, 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 you know, like, there's been careful. And I wonder too, like, I wonder if it's folks watching D-Nice and watching Questlove and Just Blaze and so on and so forth, and realizing what it takes to make a record that people will be playing 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah, that's deep. That's deep. Uh, every time I see Theo, man, I get concerned. He always like, sneaks up. I'm like, there's, there's something about it. Get him. Like, <laughs> He might, uh, yeah, he might take me out of the game if I disappear. <laughs> no, Blair Witch Project 3, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so speaking of at-home projects, uh, there was a gigantic um, project dropped by surprise by a dude who just got home this week, uh, Takashi69. Um, this one, like, I got to get your take on this one, especially, Justin, um, because I know you've talked a lot about him, like, over the years. Uh, the guy is, first of all, I think he is, he is the first person to overtake Donald Trump in terms of being able just to command attention. Like his, his ability to, to wield that and troll is just, is, is unparalleled right now. But, you know, 
looking at him, he owned the narrative. Yeah, I'm a rat. Of course I'm a rat. But like, you know, let me tell you why I write it. And wouldn't you write? Like, he came out and justified it. He owned it. Like, it was it was spectacular to watch him. And, you know, so uh, Swizz and Premier topped out at around 200,000 simultaneous viewers on, on uh, Instagram. Teddy and Face were at about 415K. Last night, Jill and 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 Erica topped at around seven forty nine, seven fifty thousand. This dude did two million. No, uh, yeah, two million real time users in ten minutes. Like, uh, it's 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 crazy. So, but Justin, like, I see you looking at you. You're getting ready. What, what's going on? What's, what's up with this? One? Uh, you know, I I think he's the perfect storm of everything that always goes viral. You know, gang beef, uh, incendiary commentary, crazy colors. Um, you know, shareable music and prison and women and you name it. He is like five foot four inches of all that. You know what I mean? And I... Is that how tall he is? I've, I've, I've only met him twice. <laughs> I feel like about five four. You know? Oh, man, that's I'm, crazy. He is man, barely... He's like, he's like Prince level. That's insane. Right. I mean, call it five six. I don't yeah. know. He barely at my shoulder. You know, so... Um, and I think that, you know, what's funny when I talk to uh, Stat Quo and every time I talk to Stat Quo, you know, well, I talk to him a lot, but not, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, his artists and his artists will get in trouble or something. I'll see, uh, you know, I'll see a crazy headline. I got a brain fart right now in his artist's name. I'll see a headline around his artist. I'll see a headline around game and I'll say, hey, what, what's going Little on? Little Zan, right? Yeah, uh, Lil Zan. Yeah, Lil yeah. Zan. It's a Lil Xan, you know, he just, he had a headline the other day and I said, yo, is this real? And he said, mm, kind of, <laughs> you know, or uh, you know, something will happen with game. And I'll say, man, his game is in Philly right now with Meek, man. This is kind of crazy. And he'll be like, mm, smoke and mirrors, you know. And so there's so much of that in entertainment anyway. I mean, it is entertainment. And he is maximizing that to 100%. I don't know if there is value here, though, right? Outside of the spectacle, I don't take anything substantial away from the fact that, man, this dude got abused and, you know, he signed up for one thing, got all of it. It went left, got robbed, beat up, his girl, whatever happened with that, his family gets threatened, he has to go sit down for two months, boom, uh, COVID-19 outside, he gets out eight months earlier. He dropped a song telling everybody, ah, you're mad that I'm out, ha-ha, I'm a rat. I don't see anything that makes me think about this outside of just the nutso factor of all the elements that came together that make all this entertaining, right? I don't, I don't hear music that to me um, says more than the step-by-steps of what's happening in his life, right? I don't hear anything that's really uplifting or a message that he learned from this, you know? I don't, I don't see that. So now I'm just watching real world. You know, uh, Vegas. Truman Show. <laughs> you know, watching Truman Show. Yeah. And that to me always feels like a lost opportunity. If I see someone who can galvanize 2 million people in 10 minutes, get to put a song out and get 12 million views in a day. He did an interview with Charlemagne and had like 2 million views on an interview in like 12 hours, which is almost unheard of. If I see someone who has this much power to move people in a direction and moves them and moves them solely to himself, at the expense of his adversaries, 
I'm still waiting for that person to grow up. And once he does, I think he's going to have a lot of power. I think it could be interesting then. Yo, uh, so so Gooba dropped um, a day and a half ago. It's got 64 million views on YouTube. 64 million. But, you know, so I want to ask you, though, Justin, like, um, like it's, it's, it's almost chicken and egg. Um, you know, does he have that kind of power? Does he have that kind of command if he doesn't have these antics? You know, you did that piece fire in the stadium uh, for us, you know, a couple of years ago. What does it say about people? Like, I don't know that someone who is going to deliver something more substantive, something more um, real is going to get that kind of attention. Like, I just don't know that it's possible. Like, uh, you know, maybe it happens once a decade, like, you know, with Kendrick, with Dam or something like that. But even that doesn't have that kind of like uh, mass consumption. So what does that say about people in general? I think that we're consistent. Uh, You know, I, we slow down on the highway when there's a car wreck. We pull out our phones when crazy crackhead is wandering around screaming at clouds. You know, we like the spectacle and we like, you know, the, the antics behind things. It's one thing that, you know, this is where this comparison will end. But one thing that I learned quite a bit of about Michael Jackson through uh, Zach Greenberg's book, Michael Jackson Inc., was how everything with Michael Jackson was to have friction and tension. Quincy Jones told me this too. So he wanted every video to have a fight in it, a chase, some, right? And then Michael was also a big fan of Ringling Brothers, Barnum Bailey Circus. And so he realized that as long as he stayed in the news, whether it was good or bad, then he was able to bring more people to his album. So he built his whole house into a, you know, a, a circus and amusement park. And he had all these wacko jacko stories out there. And he actually liked them. Like he perpetuated a lot of them. But then when you get to his music, he has, you know, these big stadium anthems that make people cry because the songs are so beautiful, you know. So I I think we've seen examples of people who can play the media great, pull out all kinds of crazy antics, dangle a baby over a balcony and still make people, you know, move to We Are the World or whatever or whatever massive stadium song you want to pick for Michael Jackson that has substance in it. I think we've been the same as people. We still gravitate to the same types of, you know, mindless explosions. And I, but I also think there's people who know that, recognize that, maximize that, and then do their best to move people in a direction that they think adds value to their lives, but also to the world. So, you know, I haven't seen the second part from six, nine, but you know, kids, 24 year old, 24 years old, you know, and, uh, on top of the world, talking about how many watches he has. And don't talk to me if you can't afford this watch. Right. Yeah. Jake, what was your take? I mean, I'm just giantly disappointed. I, I give I give Six Nine credit in making a compelling um, you know, case for himself, you know, in terms of, you know, the stuff with his, you know, ex girl and, you know, hey, look, these guys that are currently in prison, you know, they they did me wrong first. But I, um, you know, this is a guy, regardless of that, that has, you know, done real harm to people. And, you know, he sit there and, and, and sang like a canary and told the judge that he was a changed person. And on the basis of, you know, this video, that's not the case. So you manipulated the system. And to me, um, the culture that, you know, I call home has a lot more integrity than that. There's always spectacle. There's always been, you know, um, you know, a cat stacks or, uh, you know, different there's different people that'll drive this attention, but I'm, I'm officially changing the channel. Um, I watched the video. I did not tune in live. 
on Friday. But at this point, there's, there's good people that are, you know, currently exposed to COVID in penitentiary systems. Um, and you got a guy that, you know, used wealth and influence to get his way out. And that's the first thing that he's going to talk about. So, you know, apart from the character flaws of, of you know, um, being engaged in something and then telling on your peers, it's just not something I buy into. I'm, and I wish that we could take 2 million people in real time and get them to, you know, listen to some of the great, you know, hip hop and rap music that comes out. That's just, I, I'm sure I sound like a Dudley Do-Right, but that's truly where I'm coming from with it. Do you think that um, Bobby Smurda's release later this year will have a similar reaction? And do you think that, and I, I know it won't be in terms of mass appeal because, yeah. you know, 6 9 was able to make much a much bigger impact. But the the snitching part of this, right, the rap part of this, the, the, the streets part of this is muted and compared to the broader spectacle. Right. And, but that means a lot to those people in those communities, like that code carries a lot of places. Yeah. And so, you know, you have, you have your yin and your yang and you're going to have the, the kid who, I, you can make an argument that I'm not sure what happens to 6 9 if Bobby Schmurter never goes in because New York basically got one new kid a year <laughs> that right. reached spectacle status. I'm not sure if that, you know, I'm not sure if that neighborhood still rocks the same if, if Bobby Schmurter's not sitting down. But I wonder what that's going to, how that side of it, the code side, the street side will position Bobby Schmurter. Yeah. I mean, do you know when he's, when Bobby's due back? Uh, December 2020. Okay. They're trying to get him out earlier. For Which is when when Six Nine was supposed to be back. Yeah. Right. You know. I mean, this is uh, interesting. Yeah. It's a tough comparison because Bobby really only had one big song before he went in. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have that. He didn't have the same kind of foundation built that Six Nine did. Six Nine had an 18 month run, unlike any that I can recall in a decade or more. So you know, I think that. Um, you know, Bobby is, is, is going to be, is, is not going to have anything close to that same kind of reception. And, you know, if he can come out with another hot song, then, you know, I think that he'll get that same kind of love that he had before. But 6 9 is just a, a different animal, you know. Um, when we talk about that code, um, you know, I think that this shows that there's been a complete paradigm shift in terms of the code, too. You know, uh, that code has been obliterated for, for this generation. Um, just like with, you know, it, people didn't care when it came out that Drake didn't write his lyrics, like um, that kind of authenticity, you know, actually doing what you say you say you do doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, I'd be much more interested in 6 9 if, um, you know, the Grange family didn't invest millions upon millions of dollars in him. You know, what would that look like? What would it look like if you couldn't have that type of security? What would it look like if you couldn't, you know, have access to that type of budget? And instead, to me, it's it's Tia Tequila. It's it's reality TV. And, um, you know, I'm I'm good. You know, I just want to I, I wonder what happens if Bobby Smyrna drops a diss track at six. Nine. I'm sure he will. Right. Like hip hop's so funny, too, because we're always about who's the next person to get out. Like I laugh like, you know, Tony Ayo coming out in the early 2000s, like people were anticipating him like. You know, I've never seen anything like that. You know, Pimp C, who when he went in was, you know, a cult figure of the South. But by the time he came out was this, you know, um, kind of a re- restored rap star. And yeah, I mean, Bobby's probably the next person to come out of note, right? 
Um, I know there's a couple artists pending trial and stuff like that. But well, here's the irony: six nine didn't get out. Six nine is going to be in his own creative prison for the next ten years or longer. For as long as there's Treyway or people affiliated with with them, he can't move. You know, uh, so. Uh, he can be famous, but there's not much he could do to enjoy it. You know, he's he's going to be in quarantine for quite some time. So yeah, I mean, I was I don't know the particulars, but that was one thing I was imagining on Friday is like, how do you move from your house to wherever warehouse they shot that video in? Like, what does that even look like? And you know, I had heard things that you know he was back in Brooklyn and all of that, and I'm like, yo, what part of Brooklyn can you really block off the street to? get into a car, you know, it turns into like El Chapo going in for those, those uh, hearings last year in New York. Like what does that motorcade even look like? Because he does, he does have, he's a moving target. Yeah. It's not like he's nondescript either, you know? Yeah. I think about 50, you know, and how 50 had to move like in those early days, you know, but uh, I think that six, nine is even more compromised. Like, yeah, I would not want to be. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And I think it's silly when rappers brag about their bulletproof cars. I mean, what is that? Yeah. Like, you know, that, that means it's not safe for you to move around. That means yeah. you got enemies. <laughs> that means you had to make a car bulletproof because that means people hate you. Yeah. That means, <laughs> like, that's how dangerous it is. Oh, I know you're saying it's an expensive bulletproof car and you think that's props, but that's also a sunk cost to me. You know, yeah. they're going to get you. They wait you to get out the car. Here's the twisted logic, too. Like, I think in some ways, for a lot of kids who look at him, he's going to seem even more real now because he did spend some time in prison. Uh, you know, and I, I think that I don't think he would be as big. I think he's going to end up being bigger now than he was even before. It had this not happened. I would encourage anyone to listen to that podcast. I know we talked about it a few months ago, but Sean Sotero and Complex made a. Uh, Six Nine podcast, and he was an artist that I was not invested in before, but my opinions, my take has a lot to do with what I heard in that. And, you know, Sean sat in the courtroom and listened to how he addressed the judge when his life was, you know, on the line. And uh, man, oh man, that'll change. That 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 really shifted my perspective. Um, gave me a lot of things I didn't know. So. Yeah, so give, give me a couple, you've mentioned a few times, give me a couple like takeaways. Um, you know, there's a really interesting breakdown of, of, you know, his sexual relations with a minor, you know, and that happening at the video shoot in Harlem. And I found that, you know, very chilling. Um, I know that, you know, we've all seen various figures in hip hop and rap been, you know, um, accused of things. But when you kind of hear how that transpired to me, I was like, damn, you know, this is deeper than than snitching. And at the same time, you know, whatever he did versus Treyway is one thing. But, you know, Takashi's been accused of putting his hands on, you know, his child's mother. Um, And it's funny that when he was, you know, making a bargain, um, you know, with the with the state or the federal government, I forget which, to do that, like the stuff, his his offenses against women were completely ignored. Like and it's almost like, what does the legal system look at that? Um, If you can point and say that this is what happened here and just how much he fanned the flame, too, with, um, you know, his problems with Trippy Red and Chief Keefe. Um, it's just disturbing. And it's a guy, it's, it's no different than, you know, um, you know, throwing a beer on an athlete when they can't come up to the stands necessarily and get you. And that's what I look at him like. He never was able to do anything for himself. And uh, to now come out and grandstand on how tough you are and how much money you have, 
um, like I said, I just click and change the channel. Yeah, so we talked about the Grange family support for him. You know, uh, we as industry insiders also know that Trippy Red is supported by the same family. How real do we think that 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 narrative was, or was that constructed for attention? Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I um, you know, when I was in Empire, there was an artist, uh, and I'll look up his name. I'm great for on his name too, but he was also he's Trippy Red's cousin, and uh, you know. Are you talking about Fiji Macintosh? Yeah, Fiji yeah. Macintosh. Uh, I like Fiji Macintosh. <laughs> that kid is yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Um, and so you say what? I said indeed. Yeah, yeah he's a fun kid. Um, and there's definitely tension. You know, there's definitely, they definitely don't like each other. That part, everything I've ever seen has said that part is real. But you're on the same same company, right? We saw what happened when Treyway walked in on the Grange family in 6 9 at dinner. Right. Literally two days later, everybody was shut down. Yeah. Right. They when there was a real threat, when there was a real problem, that family stepped in, <laughs> made sure everything was okay for their investment, and then put the money back into the half that was theirs that was, you know, still valuable after the opportunity to get out of jail with COVID. They didn't do anything like that on this side, because they're invested in both. So I don't think of this as a real 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 beef i think a lot of it is smoke and mirrors but there is definitely tension from everything that i've ever seen and everyone i've talked to yeah i agree and i mean it's an interscope playbook thing too right like you had death row and aftermath you know death row going at aftermath both were distributed by interscope you had the game in 50 like there's a lot of labels and and they collect cash on both ends but i do think you know despite the ties i think there was real bad blood between the two of those camps yeah yeah well, uh, back to real hip hop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Word. Yeah. Uh, another thing that came up out of the verses is DMX spoke up this week saying he wanted to have his opportunity to go with Jay Z in one of these things. Um, uh, I personally want to see Jay versus Ye. I think that that would be a, a, a gigantic one. But you guys think uh, a DMX Jay Z one would be entertaining? Would it be close? Would or would it just be like you know? more more uh shine for for dmx and jay kind of like you know fighting like a um you know um a contender who didn't have the same kind of catalog that he did go ahead justin 20 tracks i think dmx got a shot you know I, one of the things that comes out out of jay-z and this jay electronica project is i'm one of the things i love about it is that this is the least you know, uh, capitalistic. I've heard Jay-Z sound in a long time in bulk, right? Mm. I mean, outside of 444, but 444, he was selling a lot of buildings and buying a lot of expensive paintings. This one, he left a lot of the, you know, the financial success off the project. And which showed me how great he could be in different boxes in a way I haven't thought about in a very long time. But you take someone with the spiritual connection that DMX has, the relentless energy, how big those tracks were. I mean, he had two number one albums in one year. He could mm-hmm. pick 20 songs from those two albums only and be okay, right? You've got his first five albums all went number one. Outside of You and the Dog, I'm pretty sure there's four songs that were huge in those years. So in a fractured 20-song environment with a spiritual dude talking to Jesus, you know, and, and he had big hits, 
I'm not sure that is a safe place for Jay-Z to hang when I don't have very much Jay-Z in bulk. I mean, I think, I think when I think in, in general, it's always hard for, you know, the church and the bank. The church and the bank are like two different places, right? And I think it's a compelling matchup if I look at it that way. If I'm looking at all oh, who had the, if I base this off of who had the biggest songs or the most hit records or whatever, like, yeah, I think anybody you battle, you kind of got to give it to Jay Z unless it's Drake, you know. Um, but uh, I would like to see it. <laughs> like I would like to see. You think you ever would? You think it could happen? I don't think Jay Z would do it. No. I don't either. I don't think so. I think I, Jay would buy it. You think he'd do Kanye? I mean, so my point about my point about the, the the fight, right? It's not that DMX isn't a worthy contender. It's more like if you're Floyd Mayweather, you're not gonna fight a dude who is not gonna bring you as much money, but could knock you out. Yeah, right. You're gonna want to fight the Pacquiao or whoever who's gonna bring bring the biggest purse to the table. Um, and you know, I don't know that Jay wants to get into it with DMX because X has got nothing to lose. Uh, well, and X, people root for the underdog, too. And I feel like Jay-Z is a little bit vulnerable right now. There's a lot of folks that think he's too wealthy and too political and too all these things. And meanwhile, X has nothing to lose. And X is 15 years removed, um, more than that, you know, from a true W under his belt. Yeah. Well, let's take it from this standpoint. I mean, we already talked about how these versus battles become less competitive <laughs> every time there's a new one. And everyone just starts you know, saluting each other and complimenting each other. I think that's probably something that would happen more so than not with this. I don't think X is going to, I don't, I don't see X really talking crazy about icons. You know, I've seen him be hypercritical about new artists. Drake. Yeah. You know, he seems like he has a chip though. I mean, with Jay, those two battles and, you know, X has always campaigned that, you know, and other people have said the same, that maybe it wasn't quite like history suggests. And also, let's not forget, you know, Jay becomes president of Def Jam, as I understand it. X isn't treated like the artist that had five or six consecutive number one albums, leaves and goes back to Columbia, where his career began with Rough House. And to me, that was when he started sputtering. You know, a lot of that was personal life, but there is history there. There is history because I know Je- uh, X was one of those artists like LL and other people that were like, wait a minute. Like, I kept the lights on on this label, and just because you're in the chair doesn't mean you get to talk to me like I'm a minion, you know? Yeah, I'm not even going to concede that these have gotten less com- gotten less competitive. First of all, Babyface was talking greasy <laughs> during both those conversations. With a smile on his face. Yeah, yeah. with a smile, but he was, uh-huh. he was throwing grease, like hot grease at Teddy, like the whole time. And Teddy came with a full, like, you know, backup singer and, and, and dancer and crew. Yeah. And like keyboards, like yeah, those dudes came came to battle. And let's not forget, like Jill and Erica were peace and kumbaya with their words. But Erica had Bruce Lee fighting behind her the whole time. I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was showmanship. And, and Jill was like perfectly lit and like you know yeah. framed and everything. You know, listen, they're they're competitors. I don't I, know. Did you take Rizzo versus Primo? Like they went twenty rounds. Like I think Primo was caught off balance by RZA's deference to him the whole time. You know what I mean? Like that battle was way less competitive, way less shots yeah. than Neo Jante Austin and Hit Boy and uh, Boy Wonder. Like those guys were at least pretending like they were. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if either of you guys know this, but you know they announced one this morning that it's happened. Did either of you happen to see it? 
Which one? Uh, Ludacris versus Nelly versus yeah. the set of oh, official. Oh, yeah. cool. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah. Who, who do you yeah. got? Uh, I'll take Luda because along with his catalog, he's got about 30 number one guest appearances. It's, it's all <laughs> guest appearances. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, you Nelly got, got like Both three, of you are team, team Chris Bridges. I'm taking Chris Nelly Bridges. got like three or four joints, man. That's it. They're gigantic. They're seismic. Yeah. But like volume of catalog is, is Luda for sure. No, I do with agree the guest with guest Yeah, yeah. I saw him in concert once and he did maybe two of his own songs and then 30 like guest hooks. Right. <laughs> like, you know, because Nelly, I mean, Nelly hits different, not in the Northeast. I'll be completely concerned about that. Growing up in the South and even living out West now for seven years. Nelly, we know Nelly B-sides. The Midwest knows his B-sides. Like, you know, Loving Me is another song that sounds like every song at the beginning of Drake's career. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff on Pimp Juice on the second project. Air Force Ones, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that three or four regions really know. He won't be dipping in sweat and suit, though. <laughs> right, probably not. <laughs> but that's part of the problem, too, is because that's where Luda's from. And so, like, all those places. And then Luda gets more respect in, you know, in, in New York than Nelly does, 100%, especially after they shoot and remix. So, you know, it's – um, I don't I, – I think it'll be interesting. I like Nelly more than – I ever probably sound like I do. You know what that means? It's like, like yeah. I, I never select Nelly first, <laughs> but yeah. I do yeah. have moments where I'm like, man, that was a good Nelly song. And I just don't think that Ludacris gets enough credit as is. And I don't care about, I'm a lyrics first guy just in general. I have never seen Nelly be able to put bars together, words together, phrases together, punchlines especially the way Luda can. So. Yeah, I mean, Luda's, Luda's dope. Beast. I mean, when, uh, you, you, his lyricism is slept on. We actually wrote a piece on it. Like, uh, when he dropped, um, he did uh, um, uh, What's Your Fantasy with the Roots, the acapella joint, and he did it with, the, like, the bongos and stuff. It was, it really showcased his lyricism. The dude could spit, you know. And Nelly, to your point, like, Apple Bottom Jeans came on, like, um, a couple of days ago and I was with my kids, uh, you know, one is 10 and one is 19 and they were singing it. I'm like, my 10 year old, all the words. I'm like, yeah, how do you know this song? He's like, who doesn't know this song? I'm like, wow. Okay. All right. like, you know. So you funny. got, you got some joints, you know, you got some, um, women like Nelly a lot. Women like Nelly, Nelly was able to connect through Apple bottom jeans. Drew is getting hot in here. You know, he's got all those one-liners that make the club go up, make the spring break, Panama City, Panama City Club La Vila lit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think he gets nearly enough respect, but I don't think he wins his battle. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. So, like, the verses are amazing, uh, but there's been tech, tech difficulties in every single one. The sound quality is always, eh. You know what I mean? It's really more for the experience. Uh, Swiss has said that he wants to keep it there for the culture, you know, so everyone has access and, you know, all that other stuff. But do you guys think that it would take away if it were on like a Twitch or something like that, that was more built for this kind of experience and, and would allow for a better quality? Yes. I think that black people on Instagram, that is the target market. Yeah. The farther you get away and make it more difficult. Now you're making people remember how much they don't like signing up for new stuff. Yeah. It used to be hard to go to the store to pick up an album or buy a magazine. Now it's hard to press the download button and look around. 
Mm-hmm. I just don't, I think that unless they're going to own the platform that it's on, so where that they can substantially cut the number of viewers and still somehow make more money on it, that's the only way I can see them doing it. Like but everybody on Instagram in the first place. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting question. I mean, that's an interesting take. I don't know. I mean, the experience to me, like there was a couple times last night when Erica left that I was like, all right, I'm coming back in 10, 20 minutes. Um, and, you know, we obviously saw what happened with Teddy and Babyface. I'm, in, I'm also in favor of ownership. I mean, I give Swizz and Timberland a lot of credit because they could be monetizing this, as I understand it, a lot better than they are. And instead, they do, like you said, Justin, and make it for the people. Yeah, just on the J and DMX thing. So you talked about, like, DMX being able to play, like, uh, 20 songs from two albums. J could play two songs from 10 albums. You know what I mean? Like, and, st- and just be in it and both and all be monster hits. Like, I don't know. Um, well, I, what I mean by that is it seems like Jay-Z has so much more than DMX in general because he does. Yeah. But in this frame, we're talking about 20 songs. So if you take two songs from 10 albums of Jay-Z or 10, 20 songs from two albums from Jay-Z, the 10, 20 songs that G- DMX plays or half those songs that DMX plays are going to be cultural. They're going to be religious. They're going to be spiritual. They're going to be talking to all these aspects of life that I don't know if Jay-Z up until maybe after he comes back from retirement, maybe after Blueprint 3, maybe after, you know, the Art Collector's album, maybe 444. I don't know if he has that many that touch on the, the certain things that we love about DMX. So there would be a stark contrast. If DMX plays Rough Riders Anthem at the right point, I'm going nuts. If he plays, you know, Slipping at the right time, I'm going nuts. I don't know what Jay-Z plays after Slipping. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know what Jay-Z plays after Damien. I don't know. Also, what- you know, I think of it too, though. Like, I, 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 lo- I love X, you know, and I, I love I, – he had an interview a few years ago on Drink Champs that was phenomenal and obviously okay. Breakfast Club. But can he sell it? Like, even down to this clip, like him with Nori and EFN, you know, talking that he would like to battle Jay – it was a little bit coherent. It was a little bit not like, and Jay can come in there and be the politician and finesse and give stories. And if Jay did that, I don't think the records just themselves matter. Um, I think it's, I, mean, I think it's a different story. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going with regrets. I'm going with regrets after slipping. Like, I mean, it's a good call. I don't know. I'm just saying. Jay got some joints too. Like, the evils. Yeah. A lot of stuff. I definitely, I, I, I've never seen people cry at a Jay-Z concert the way I've seen them consistently every single time at a DMX concert. And I think that anytime there's a stark difference between two people or people are accused of being in, you know, copycats of each other, those to me make the best battles. And so to me, if we're going to, like, I would like DMX over Jay-Z over Jay-Z Kanye, because every time I hear Jay-Z Kanye, I'm like, man, one of these guys wrote way more, a higher percentage of his songs than the other guy. It's going to be going on in the back of my mind. Word. You know, same like Drake Kanye would be fair on that level, but the same thing with Jay-Z Drake. The reason why I think Jay-Z Drake would be awesome is because you have two people who have been running the charts at different points in their careers yeah. at different times. It's almost like Jay ran the charts and then Drake ran the charts, you know? And so that's yeah, that's, what, that's why I think Drake and Ye would be, I mean, Jake and Ye, uh, Jay and Ye would be I because the narrative right there yeah. Uh, you know the two brothers, and they are more in the same era. Even though Jay, you know, had a, a few years head start on them, I, I just think that one. And plus, they could they could also play. Yeah, Kanye could just play Jay joints and be like, "What?" 
Kanye's commentary would be legendary. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think I think you'll get Dr. Dre in one of these before you get Jay. But you know, with the title connection, Jay, when you talk about you know, especially with his ties to both Swizz and Tim, like Jay could do it and really behoove title in an interesting way. I mean, strategically. Yeah. Yeah. The one of the battles that I'm not sure they've officially announced yet, but they're still talking about coming through versus is three, six mafia versus bone thugs. Yeah. Right. And I'm a diehard bone thugs fan. So I know who I'm rooting for, you know, three, six mafia's career extended much longer in a big way, in a bigger way than bone thugs. But I think bone thugs starts off hotter than three, six. Mm-hmm. The point is neither bone thugs doesn't have a DJ Paul. Like, so they're going to be sitting in there. not. They really need DJ talking. Unique. Yeah, <laughs> Right. They need yeah. DJ Unique to sit yeah. there and present these songs. I watch Jam TV all the time, and I'm watching Busy Bones behind the stories behind his uh, career, right? He's talking about the time he got robbed at Fat Burger. He's talking about, oh, this is how uh, Notorious Thugs came out with Biggie. Like, he just sits there in his living room and tells these crazy stories. And I'm watching him fascinated because I'm a fan. A lot of these songs are multi-million you know, hit records and cultural touch points. And he just sounds crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like Crazy Bone is the most prolific member, but he sounds like he, like he's, you know, has like his camera shy, you know, like yeah. he doesn't yeah. present. Like so, Bill Belichick in the press conference. <laughs> right. It's oh, like yeah. pop at halftime, you know yeah. what I mean? So that is a, a very real dynamic. I know Hope would sound very controlled and mannered and slick talking and maybe a little snarky of you know younger baby face going against anybody but i don't know i don't know if i've seen a more powerful interview than the first drink champs dmx interview and he's sitting there crying <laughs> you know what i'm saying like dmx would stop playing songs beat on the table and rap the rest of his song right, 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 heartbeat right. you know what i mean like yeah. that to me is just a different type of effect people have like kanye and dmx could be interesting because people cry over kanye all the time i know young kids who are sitting here shedding tears over, you know, freaking fade, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just think that that level of emotion outside of sheer respect and deference for the massive amount of success that Jay-Z has been able to create just doesn't exist around his products, right? You have envy and respect and leadership from home, but you got emotion from DMX and that, and you want to root. We all want to root for DMX. Like you want to see one more ride in the sunset. And that's why, you know, early last year when he was talking about back with Def Jam, back with Swizz, which we've heard before, like I want that is as good a story for hip hop as you can get, you know? So that's why I'm not taking that battle from Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Work. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about 50 Cent earlier um, in terms of Takashi 69. 50's been in the news this week too. He has some sharp words about his fellow G unit members. Uh, Jay, you know, what, what, what's your, what's your, what are your thoughts? Can you break down what he said and what are your thoughts about it? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here and 50 has a book to promote. It's not his first book, but it's a book that chronicles his business dealings. And I guess there's a few uh, lines in the book that 50 also kind of released as an excerpt excerpt um, on uh Lloyd Banks and Tony Ayo in particular, and how he wanted so much more for them with G-Unit than they had to offer. Um, You know, he specifically says that, you know, Lloyd Banks kind of balked at the idea of social media, you know, and I know Ayo was, you know, always in the streets and in and out. And it really just held back 
50s vision for what this group could be. And I have to tell you, I mean, as somebody who covered those guys a lot in interviews and um, was around for that mid-2000s era, I think 50 has a really valid point. And he doesn't take away the artistry of either, but I feel like G-Unit was poised to be so much more than they ever became. What do you guys think? Yeah, Justin, you got thoughts on this? I'm a big fan of, um, you know, it's actually funny, because the first first piece I think I ever published for Hip Hop DX when you were editor-in-chief, Jake, was 50, 50 more like Diddy. Mm. And it looked at how, and this is 2010, so it looked at how 50's career was going to look less like Jay-Z, meaning the music was going to be the touch point that allowed him to expand his business ventures and more like Diddy's where he would pivot into other just business aspects and opportunities off the brand more so. And it, it was based a large part off of the 50th law, the book that he put out with Robert Green, which looked at, at that point, less of his business dealings, but more of his street dealings and how he was able to conquer those in a way that's similar to the topics that Robert Green talked about in the 48th laws about and this one is, you know, I haven't checked the, the audio book yet. I definitely will. It's on my list of things to do. But one thing that's consistent between those two things with 50 is that he's always either complains or talks about how he's always the hardest work, worker in his crew. And I honestly don't see a whole lot of work ethic in general from Bank Buck or yeah, yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Right. I mean, when I listen to Lloyd Banks, I've never been a Lloyd Banks fan. I don't think he's whack. I just think he's boring. It sounds like someone is just going through the motions. Right. I was a big young Buck fan just because he was coming from the South. He was had that energy. He was rocking with New York cats, but he was inconsistent. And 50 was always cutting edge. Right. He was thinking about, okay, let's partner with Coca-Cola, get this vitamin water. Let's part of a vitamin water. He had something called Boo Boo TV in the beginning, which was the precursor, if I'm not mistaken, around the same time as this is 50. And it was kind of going at, you know, the world star market, you know, like he was always pushing new opportunities, right? I mean, and if you go back to a lot of the street stuff he was talking about in 50th Law, those those same things were there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that this is incendiary. I don't think that this is something that is unexpected. I think if anybody tells you that Lloyd Banks says he doesn't want to get online, yeah, that sounds like Lloyd Banks, you know? Yeah. And that truthfully has been the difference between so many people from that era that have been able to cross over into, you know, the teens and now the 20s with some sort of respect and success, right? They were able to bring their audiences to the new places where audiences, where people are now hanging out. And none of that from the articles I've read about 50s description of Lloyd Banks and Yayo and Buck sounded like a surprise to me. Um, I haven't seen any of their responses. I'd be surprised if they don't agree. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing too, about G unit is they always come back together. Like, you know, and I, I agree with everything that you said, you know, I always thought that, you know, take game out of it. I thought young buck was the most interesting member of G unit as an artist. And I think Lloyd Banks is wildly talented, but a little bit boring for my ears, but I'm also not a mixtape you know, New York, early 2000s guy like that. And, you know, I remember around the, the time that Gina released its second album, 2008, it was the week that Young Buck had been ousted from the group. And I went to G-Unit's offices in New York, and I was there with Yayo, Lloyd Banks, and 50. And every time I'd ask a question, 50 would give the guys, and I would direct them at Tony and direct them at Lloyd, 
and they would be very short winded or they would defer to 50. And I remember 50 just being like, Oh, and he was promoting that album. And we've seen that time and time again. And look at what both of those guys have accomplished without 50. And it's, it's not even in comparison to their skills. So it, I do agree. And I think he makes a valid point and I don't think it's a feud or beef um, similar to maybe Eminem and D12, but uh, you know, they'll be cool again. I mean, he grew up with those two guys. So 50 like Takashi is also a great uh, master at like garnering attention, you know, and I think it's a great start uh, talking point, but I actually take issue with the premise. You know, I, I don't believe that stars are built. I think they're born. You know, we've all been a, around a lot of talented artists and you can hear them on record and the records are fire. The lyrics are great. They're talking about something, but you see them live and it's like, you know, uh, dead fish. Like they're, they're just not stars. They're people who are coming specifically to mind from them. Then there are other people that you go and you see them and you can just tell there's something about them where you just can't take your eyes off of them. They are just compelling. Um, they're they're just born with it is it is what it is and yes uh, work ethic is a part of it you do have to have the the, the grime and the grit and the hustle to get there um, but for some people it, it doesn't matter how hard they work they're, they're never gonna you know go beyond a certain certain point and other people like you know they can work half as hard and just you know people are always gonna want to see what they got going on so. You know, um, I love hearing 50's take on things, but, you know, I don't know that the trajectory for, for Buck and Lloyd Banks would have been any different how they put in, you know, more, more time and more hours. I don't know. I mean, I also think there's a case to be made, and this starts long before 50, of, like, the dangers of making your crew your homeboys. Like, um, the Outlaws have songs I love. You know, Tupac is my favorite rapper. But he could have come with, you know, probably some more interesting guys that were running in his circle than – looking within his family and immediate circle to come with that group. Same case with Junior Mafia. Like, Kim had star power. I don't know if, you know, some of those, like, name some of the things on their own that even Little Cease has done, and you're, you're hard-pressed. Um, so, but then you look at a Jay who, yes, he puts Bleak on first, but, you know, he had no relation to Beanie Siegel. He had no relation to Kanye and um, Young Guns and all these different people. He went with the talent, Puffy the talent and I think that that hangs around a lot longer because the drive is there and the talent is there I think that that both Buck and Banks I I don't think I think Buck actually had an opportunity because I think Buck has star power I do think Buck has like an energy that is higher than Banks I don't think he's a superstar but I definitely think that he's at least the most interesting one but you know um and I agree 100%. I don't think Superstar was in the cards for any of those guys. But I think they could be a lot farther down the road. I think that they could be, you know, names on their own away from 50. Or at least have their own, you know, independent community that is championing them all the time on, in forums who are just relentlessly saying, what about this guy? Like, like Ari the Rugged Man has. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't, if Banks put on a show... And across the street was Ari the Rugged Man show. I'm not sure who has more fans, but I know who's had more investment, been in more radio, is more connected to more people that have who do stadiums. And I don't even see those guys doing that. And so that to me, I don't think stars in there, but that that's where work ethic comes into play, right? You could work past your 
you know, your gifts or, you know, work past your expectations. I think these guys were like, yo, we hit the jackpot. We good enough. Yeah. You know, um, you do have to definitely work, right? Gifts or not. Like, and it will, it'll push you further along. There's a guy that I saw 2001. Um, this was a show in New York at um, Irving Plaza. Um, Talib Kweli was on and, you know, he said, I'm going to bring out this guy, you know, he's got beats and everything. He's dope. Um, you know, but he's a rapper too. And so guy comes out, starts rapping. He's whack. He literally gets booed off the stage. He can't finish the song because the crowd is booing so hard. And um, the dude's name was Kanye West. You know, um, now Ye, uh, I think, was always a superstar in his own mind. But I don't think he had the confidence at first to, to like, actually, like, reveal it on stage. I think he was meek and didn't present in the same way. And it took work, a lot of work, a lot of reps to get to that comfort zone, you know? Um, but now like, you know, he's a superstar in a way that like, you know, very few people are. He, I, th- I guess he probably competes with Akashi too, in terms of like a- attention and being yeah. able to command mind share. Uh, so I do think that, you know, it takes work and you gotta reveal, but like, again, like certain people, they can work and work and work and it's just not gonna happen. Um, you know, um, I think it's, it's interesting too, I think about, um, in the NBA, it, it's uh, it's similar, you know. Um, there are players out there, you, like you look at a Dominique Wilson, Will, uh, Wilkins, or like a, a Sean Kemp, guys who were just as physically talented, or Harold Miner, you know, people like that as, as Michael Jordan. But they did not have the same work ethic and thus did not become anything close to what, what MJ did, you know. So I think there are parallels there there as well. But, um, you know, the last dance has been another cultural moment that's come from COVID. I found out, first of all, that did you guys know that the last episode had not, was not going to be completed until May 10th? Oh, wow. Like, um, they moved it up, you know, three or four months, and it took Herculean efforts to actually get it done. But one of the things that has stood out for me has been the soundtrack. And, you know, they, they put out the playlist on Spotify. It's so like, like refreshingly like um, pure in terms of like just capturing the '90s, not pop music though. So you got like music by Naughty, by Nas, by Tribe, Outkast, Black Sheep, Special Ed, Woo. Wow. I mean, how has the? Mu- it's rare these days to see something where the music stands out like that. But like, how have you guys reacted to the music in, in the show? Man, like la- like the most recent episode, um, the 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 I finished watching and then I start playing the songs again. Like it was funny. Like you know the hip hop is amazing. Like I've not uh, that's the most I've like Nas if I rolled rolled the world. Like just getting Lawrence singing at the beginning, um, you know since the '90s. But it was funny. It was even like the stereo MCs drop in in the recent episode that I was just like, yo, I never realized how much I liked that record until the context of how they use it on the show. So it's phenomenal. And, and to me, it's like the, the thing on TV that I always applaud for music is insecure. Like that's, that literally has, has made um, songs into like our collective lexicon, you know, lexicon, you know, you, you can go down the list, but this is a great celebration of, of music from the eighties and nineties. I think it's ironic 
giving Nori's story about Michael Jordan saying, fuck him up. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, well, Michael Jordan clearly did not touch this soundtrack. I think there's not enough Anita Baker for Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but away from that, I think it's incredible. Like when they, yeah. they played, um, which one was it? How You Like Me Now is how they played during the, uh, the, the 60, uh, the 63. Oh, Kumo D. Kumo yeah. D. I think yeah. that, was that there or they play? I know how you like me now. I feel like it was somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, the uh, LL Cool J joint. Bigger like, and Duffer. Yeah. You know, like, like when they show the highlights and they're putting these tracks behind it. Now this is like, you know, twelve-year-old Justin Hunt screaming. You know, because this is the stuff I'm listening to when my boombox is playing while I'm shooting jumpers in the backyard. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and so you know who like, I wish got to see this is Stuart Scott, man, because he was somebody who bridged, you know, hip hop and, and pro sports at a time when that wasn't the thing. And now you've got, you know, Scott Van Pelt, huge hip hop fan, makes it known. And you go back to that old footage on SportsCenter and yeah, God bless Stuart Scott, man, because, yeah. you know, anyway. He came, um, I used to work with this company called Vanguard. Uh, it was five magazines, Honey, Essence, and Savoy, and, and a bunch of other things. But, like, uh, uh, man, um, Stuart Scott came and spoke one day to just, like, 20 of us in a conference room. He, he was so inspirational and so down to earth and cool and smooth, man. He was my frat brother. Like, I love that guy, man. Yeah, that, that's a hard one. He, but he would have been amazing for this yeah. to, to see his interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been, a, it's been great watching it with my kids too, because they're clearly not old enough to remember it, but 2K has actually given them appreciation for players beyond this generation in a way that I don't think has ever happened for, for kids before this. And so they still look at Jordan as being the GOAT. Um, but now looking at them, it's like, uh, it's almost like cliffhanger type stuff. Like I'm telling my son, you have to just wait till the next episode. This is going to blow your mind what happens yeah. next episode. But you'd have to be learning stuff too, right? Not really. I mean, I, I mean, Damn. again, as, as I'll <laughs> say in every single time we discuss this, my first son's name is Jordan. <laughs> so, so I know quite a bit about Michael Jordan. There's a, there's a book called um, Playing for Keeps by David Halberstam. Uh, which is kind of like the definitive biography of Michael Jordan. And um, I don't know that there's a story on this that I've seen yet that wasn't in that book, but there's a difference in reading it versus seeing it. Like I had read about that legendary dream team practice uh, probably 10, 12 years ago, whenever the book came out, but to see it, the footage was incredible. So, you know, I still, I still enjoy it as if, and I also was the guy who bought the, Every time the Bulls won a championship, I would buy, they'd put out these VHSs, like, recapping the year yeah. and the, the finals and stuff like that with interviews. I mean, I was a, a, a super devoted fan, but, yeah. Um, but it's great to watch it and, and relive it through their eyes. Can I put one question to both of you related to The Last Dance? You know, in, in a recent episode, they, they show not only how the press and, you know, the final, you know, season was just pushing on Jordan, are you going to retire, to the point where he – laughs about it but he's very clearly bothered but then once the Atlantic City narrative and the gambling comes into play it gets to the point where Jordan no longer cooperates with the press do either of you see any overlap with that and how the media and and the hip-hop journalism community the relationship between that and our stars 100% I think well one you have um, but they put me on the covers because I earned for them right Jay-Z's been complaining about that for a while Uh, Eminem 
some of my funniest Eminem memories are him going at Double XL. Double XL, Double XL. Like it's hilarious. Um, I think a lot of that is borrowed from how athletes, and particularly Michael Jordan, handled the press or went the things that he went through with the press, Michael Jackson too, bled into uh, the way Jay-Z looks at it, you know, and the way Eminem, these guys looked at it a decade later as they were getting to that, that pinnacle. But digital media has, I remember sitting in strategy sessions where, you know, websites, whole approach was to stand on the shoulder of giants, right? Talk about these artists so they retweet us and then <laughs> we get more people coming back to the page. You know, and as everything gets easier, artists realize more and more that they can control more of their own environment. They can distribute music, you know, to a degree, 100% on their own and find success. And they can just do news on themselves. They can cover themselves. So I think what happens is now there's more music who also look at the media as predatory questioning the value that we had. And a lot of times the media's approach, Ambrosia for Head, AFH excluded, is kind of that way, right? Where we're covering things that people are generally talking about. And it's unfortunate because there is a fracture there where there's not a, a trust of each other on both sides or fairness in the way we treat each other on both sides. But I still think that and I think Michael Jordan understood that, too, to a degree, which is why he decided to release this docuseries and announced it the day that LeBron won a title, where you kind of need other people to tell your stories, too. Hmm. And looking at what Michael Jordan went through or how he decided to stop talking to the media back then, the way his whole life plays out, past two years, three years, is the first time I've ever seen Michael Jordan talk about uh, police brutality the way black people are treated in this country. Uh, first time I've seen him announce that he opened up something uh, charitable. He opened up a hospital in Charlotte, did a lot of press around that. First time I've ever seen him really talk about the good stuff that he does. And you have a whole documentary that is framing his whole life, right? So he's gone to the point where it's like, oh, the media is talking about how great I am. I'm selling some sneakers. Oh man, this media is over here telling me I'm gambling too much. I'm crazy. I'm not talking to nobody. Fuck them all. I'm rich now. And then it gets to the point where it's like, man, people are over here talking about me like I'm not a nice guy. Maybe I should do something for my people. You know, this this Black Lives Matter thing, I'm not sure I can sit this one out like I did Harvey Gantt. Uh, maybe I should do something, right? And so it's the ebb and flow that I see happen consistently. And I think that artists tend to go through that now. I think the Jay-Zs and the Diddys are interesting because they're now building empires media empires <laughs> at the same time you know russell mm -hmm. took that approach with uh most of his endeavors over the past 15 years or so so you know i just think it's interesting considering everybody at some points needs other people to you know support their story to reiterate their narrative and that's where michael jordan is now yeah you know it's interesting to me i'm, I'm not sure that i'm willing to concede that there's been a massive evolution in thought in, in his um desire to speak out as much as, as it's coinciding with uh, the expectation and like the norm. You know, so like Jay um, is talking less about money and things like that because that's not in vogue right now. That's, that's, that's just not 
this is the era of woke and like, you know, and, and helping people and things like that. Activism. So Jay, yeah. Jay, Jay has always been very much about staying on trends, you know, with, with, with what's current. Uh, same thing with MJ. Like he sees LeBron speaking out and Wade and, you know, all these guys standing up on the SB stage and things like that. And if he doesn't have uh, a voice in that, he's, he now looks anachronistic. He doesn't look like he's in step with the times. So I'm not sure that I would give it to him suddenly becoming more activist and, and more desirous of, of having a stake. Just like uh, back then, he dropped out of the scene because he was very much about controlling his own narrative. And he's expressed real reservations about this coming out because he was concerned that it was going to tarnish and diminish his image, his legacy. But what he's saying, I think, is that the times have evolved so much that it's actually just building on it because people want transparency. They want to see flaws in their heroes. They want to feel like they're human too. And then you can truly be like Mike because you understand that Mike is not perfect and I'm not perfect too, so we can all be like each other. So, you know, um, I found that part of it to be very, very interesting. I also, you know, just to touch on what you talked about earlier, Justin, I, I love the fact that there's been a paradigm shift and that these superstars don't need the press anymore. They can completely bypass it. Drake hasn't done a, an award show in, you know, in years he hasn't done he, well he did he, do the grammys when he got up on the podium and basically said you don't need this right exactly but i mean performing and he hosted the oh, right. but perform, and he hosted the right. Right. Well, yeah but but performing, performing. like a music artist like he's like no i'm not gonna like boost your show like that i, I don't need i don't need to shine you know and anymore. I, yeah i'm the biggest artist of all, <laughs> of all time put on your shoulders i don't yeah. need you anymore exactly Exactly. And, you know, um, you know, Beyonce doesn't do interviews like, you know, none of these guys need to do interviews anymore. Um, and um, even Takashi, like he is very much of his own making, you know, Grange money and all that other stuff. But he didn't need media like he, he Cardi B, people like that are, are the stars of a new era where they don't need the press anymore. I, I hedge on Takashi. I think there was an explosion. And I, Google Trends reiterates this. There's an explosion in Takashi when he's on The Breakfast Club and how he handles Charlemagne. Like that was when old people was like, who's this kid talking to Charlemagne? Right. Anyway? You know, that's millennial, <laughs> old millennial hip-hop generation. Now are tuning in to everything. I think that was a tipping point for him. A tipping point for him. I hedge on, Mike, on uh, Jay-Z, too. These guys put out Watch the Throne the year everybody loses their home. Like, the Great Recession happens. and They're like new watch alert Cubelo. I think maybe they, they could have been at a point where they were too far into the process to change that album. But Watch the Throne, the Art Collector album, I could never remember that came Magna out. Carta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That was not with the times at all, <laughs> you know? Like, no. like, I, I, and so he got there over time, but he was late and he was slow. And I, I honestly think Michael Jordan really doesn't care what anybody thinks. I don't think you become Michael Jordan caring about what other people think. And like his whole life has basically been, he cared about his brother, obviously his parents. He cared about Dean Smith and he cared about winning. Now I'm, I'm not, I've read all the, the books and everything that uh, every book that's come out, but I watched all the tapes. I read Jordan rules. I read airtime. I, like, I think we're just part of that generation. And I a hundred percent think that LeBron being looked at in a way that on the court, on the court, you can argue which values you have more. Meaning, do you have do you value someone who is 
looking at everybody's up against as competition, et cetera, or do you value teamwork, right? Because now you have Jordan's success and you have LeBron's success, which are different approaches that both get you in kind of a GOAT conversation. That to me was where Jordan realizes he needed the media again. Now he owns this, but he let people do conduct the interviews. He talked about things he's never talked about before. Um, and I think that that had less to do with the level of activism, et cetera, anyone else is putting out there. Because Kareem was doing all that stuff before Jordan got there. And Jordan actively decided not to be Kareem in that regard. Muhammad Ali was out here doing all this stuff. Jordan actively decided not to be Muhammad Ali in, all, in this regard. Michael Jordan had a whole brand. He was selling all these sneakers. He was winning all these titles. He's chasing magic. He's chasing bird every day. Got all this media on him. I'm going to go play baseball, come back, play basketball, be the greatest ever. I don't know if LeBron, I don't know if, let's say LeBron doesn't exist. I don't think Kobe, for example, motivates Jordan to be philanthropic. I don't. I don't think Kobe motivated Jordan to be like, you know, I got to do something for my community. Kobe was taken from the Jordan rules in that sense, in that regard. Just keep all the controversial conversations, you know, outside the box as long as you can. And so those things, like just the era that's changing, I agree with you on that point. But I think that that had more to do with, yo, am I still the GOAT <laughs> if I don't start showing people I care about them, then I'm not just well, taking from their community? I don't think – I think Drake and Jordan are very similar. Well, uh, so here's what – I'll give you two things that, that um, I think um, <clears throat> show that both Jordan and Jay were reactionary. So – uh, you mentioned Watch the Throne and Magna Carta Holy Grail. So Watch the Throne was received pretty well. Um, you know, it had gigantic hit with like Ems in Paris, right? Um, Otis, yeah. But but if if you had predicted before that album dropped what the response would have been, and then looked at it after, I think that most people believe it underachieved. When you got the two biggest stars in hip hop performing together, that should have been a diamond album. Like it should have been gigantic, but it wasn't. Magna Carta, Holy Grail, we all know where that went. Had both of those albums been gigantic and accustomed to what Jay had uh, as expectations, I don't think we get 444. I think we got 444 because it didn't work, and Jay realized he had to know he had to be in a different lane, a different pocket, in order to like actually uh, get people's attention and cement his legacy. Similarly with MJ. You're right. Kobe was there. Kobe was challenging Jordan. Kobe was dropping 81 in a game and had five championships. And he's, in, in theory, much closer to challenging Jordan's throne than LeBron. But Jordan didn't feel compelled to uh, change his ways because Kobe was made in his mold. Kobe was a, a, an extension of him. But then you got this guy and he comes out and he truly doesn't care. He, he is like alienating half of his fan base, you know, or half of his customer base, I should say, uh, who don't subscribe to his political ideologies. He's cursing, like he's doing all these things. And yet he's still viewed as a potential GOAT or maybe the GOAT. And he's wearing your number. And he's wearing your number too, right. So Jordan says, oh, and, and like, like you said, like the day that the, the, the date of the, of the parade, the, the championship parade in 2016, when LeBron wins and people are starting to like talk about it and, and, you know, the, Golden State Warriors had gotten on to the brink of becoming the greatest team ever. That's when it comes out. And that's when Jordan says, oh, you know, I, I need to do this. And 
he sees LeBron being an activist and says, oh, for me to be in step and me to be in these modern times, I need to be an activist. So I don't think if LeBron had, had um, not been the way he is, Jordan's persona evolves. Like, uh, yeah, and I shut up and dribble didn't paint Jordan in the nicest light. Not at know? all. Not at all. Yeah. Well, why do you think, or, I mean, I think this, I think, I've watched eight of the episodes so far, so I get blurred of which episode everyone else is on right now. Wait, you saw eight? Like, yeah, there was, there was a, a, uh, Files that were sent around to, so, like, I hate them. I've seen. We have much to discuss now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. so I'm not sure what parts they've shown or they haven't shown yet, but the, you find the greatest athletes in existence before Jordan shows up. Outside of OJ, pretty sure every one of them had some sort of connection to the community or mm-hmm. some sort of you know, social awareness that crept into their point of view, their actions, but also their legacies, right? Ali's not the greatest because he had the best record. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he's not, you know, you can argue Jim Brown is the greatest, you know, running back because of how on the field, but I'd argue off. I don't know that many people actually remembered Jim Brown on the field. Yeah. Kareem, honestly, Kareem to me comes out looking way better the more success that LeBron has because Kareem was so outspoken, the media hated him and shitted on all his accomplishments, his whole career. So if I'm 84, 84 to 90, you know, on the court, I'm sure as it always is discussed, Jordan is chasing magic and they're chasing bird, but the examples of greatness and sport in the world always had this connection to their communities. And Jordan's talking to his mama saying, hey, I can't come out here and support this dude. I don't know who he is. I got a lot to lose. I'll give you some money, though. Right? He made a conscious choice. Right? And so I don't – I wonder why he wouldn't be reactionary to those aspects up until that time. Because in – after the first three-peat, which is, I think, probably the second titles when the Harvey Gantt thing was, I know I lived in North Carolina around that time, and I feel like that was like – around the Portland series. I don't know if Jordan is the GOAT in the Portland series, and I'm not sure him speaking out on that case against a certified white supremacist in office in North Carolina is polarizing at all. You know, like, I don't, I don't feel like he actually cares. But over time, I feel like he needs the media to tell his stories because of the fact that he sees these other people doing things especially LeBron in that situation. But I'm not sure that's like, you know, outside of that, I don't think that um, it's truly reactionary just based off of the times changing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's, and correct me if that's not what you're saying, but I, I feel like Jordan needs to, while he's reminding people about his legacy, he's expanding on it too, right? Like he's done a lot of philanthropic stuff like the hospital thing. He just chose not to talk about it. He had this Harvey Gantt thing floating around in the background forever. He just now explained that he actually did give money. He never shared that before. You know, I, I don't know if the his openness is because of LeBron in them as much as, you know, him on his own. <laughs> like, come on, Doug. You got people dying in the street and you're still not talking? 
I mean, that is a problem whether LeBron exists or not. You know, if – and the same thing with Drake. Like, Drake is running into that now. And sure, he's sitting at the top of the charts, but people's view of – the culture's view of him is becoming more narrow and at a time when it needs to expand. And that expansion comes from, you know, connecting more broadly with your community. Yeah, you know, I, I just think he was a guy who cared about image, right? Like he cared like deeply about his image and he wanted to control it and appear kind of perfect, really. Um, you know, or or at least blank canvas. You could you could make of it what you wanted it to be. Um, and it's kind of that's kind of an assimilation mentality. Like don't ruffle too many feathers, and because of that, you have to you kind of care about what everyone thinks because if you're not making enemies, if you're not, if you're not like making someone angry, you're not truly being true to yourself because you can't please all people all the time. Like it's, it's the, almost the most reductionist pop music that, that there can be, you know, it's Katy Perry or like whatever. Um, but now we're in an era where perfection isn't glorified. People don't want perfection. People want wars. People want like reality TV. They want social media. They want, Twitter, they want the, the, the rough edges. And so they want DMX to beat Jay Z. Yeah, yeah. So he's just evolving with the times. I'm I'm not sure it's a conscious like, oh, I need to show more of myself because, you know, I need to do this for the kids and stuff like that. It's just in order to continue to maintain my image as I have always, I need to, you know, I need to go in this direction. I just don't know if that part I mean and I don't know I'm belaboring this point. Uh, I'm just I still see the social issues that I think we're referencing Jordan reacting to have ever changed in his life. You know, if, if he's growing up and the biggest stars are the ones who are the most socially active, you'd think that that would make a difference. But they weren't the biggest stars. Who was bigger than Muhammad Ali? Uh, yeah, Muhammad Ali was big uh, and the biggest at the time, but... Uh, I would argue that Jordan was just as big and Jordan had more um, influence in terms of like getting people to buy stuff. You know, there, you didn't have Muhammad Ali sneakers, Muhammad Ali, you know, stuff. He didn't like have that. anything to sell like that. Yeah. Right. And Jordan wanted to be, he wanted to be a conglomerate. He wanted to be a mega, he wanted to be a, a business. And that's what he became. He was a brand. Right. Just so. a choice he made to save himself. Yeah. You no, know, um, <clears throat> What was I going to say? Have you guys got to the part? <laughs> have they shown? I can't remember which side of this, but I don't know spoiler alerts, but I'm about to spoil your alert real quick. Have you seen the part <laughs> where the guy, have they shown this part where the guy, when Michael's in the in a room in some arena? Pitching pennies? No, 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 no. 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 Pitching pennies. I like that one too. Uh, uh, no, when the guys, they just want a title or they just want a big game or something. And Jordan's like, guys, can, can I be alone for a second? It's going to be alone for a second. Give about 10 minutes. And then the producer, whoever's in the room, is like, sure, yeah, we'll get out of here. Do you want to call your wife? And Joel was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I want yeah, to call yeah. my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did not want to call his wife, man. <laughs> that was at the finals. That was at the finals. He just won the finals, yeah. Yeah, did they show that for you? <laughs> they showed that. He did not want to talk to his wife, man. <laughs> That's my favorite part of this whole thing. That's how you knew. That's why you never saw Juanita. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's another documentary with the camera on. <laughs> there's there's another documentary out that's capturing people uh, people's mindshare right now too. Is the Atlanta 
uh, child murders. Like, have, have you guys seen any of that yet? I watched I it all. I have not seen it yet. Uh, I've seen episode one, uh, but I'm going to ask you, Jay, because you didn't live through it. Like, I, I lived through it. Like, uh, I was actually like 10 years old when stuff started happening. Like, so like that was one of the most terrifying things, you know, um, what, what, what fascinates you about this? I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed for the education system to admit this, but I never knew that this happened until Mindhunter season two. And, oh, wow. Are you oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm somebody that, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a history buff, especially in terms of like, you know, um, criminal history and things like that. And um, so Mindhunter season two happened. Um, I got really into it, kind of confused by the season. And then I did a podcast, the uh, Atlanta Monster podcast, which I recommend anyone that's interested. And that kind of enlightened me to Andre's verse on Travis Scott's uh, album, which blew my mind, you know, um, the connection there. And then I wanted to watch this. So I've watched the whole series. And um, this series is of those things, um, the most chilling of the pieces of art and content on it. And I'm just, I was enthralled and I finished it as soon as I could. Mm. I've watched the first episode. Stuff like that is really hard for me to watch. Um, because, uh, you know, it's right. I couldn't, I could only watch two and a half or so episodes of surviving R. Kelly because I, I just hate to watch things that are built on, um, other people's suffering. Yeah. You know, and, um, it's a it's a fine line for me between educational and exploitational. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I I got it. So yeah, but I'll dig into it because I did think it was really well done. So. I would encourage you to keep going. The first episode is you know a lot of exposition and a lot of catch up, and there was a lot of things that I didn't think were there. Um, episode four and five, I think it's five total. Um, yeah, I mean they've kept me up at night a little bit. This this um, this this month just in because I even down to Mindhunter how it was portrayed versus really the case um in defense of Wayne Williams is uh is fascinating to me and uh yeah I keep keep watching you know yeah you mentioned Travis Scott I finally caught the Netflix documentary Look My Life and Fly uh um about him yesterday I really enjoyed that he's just a such a compelling figure Travis definitely one of the one of the great artists of, of the moment right now and I said to somebody recently you know he just did that single with Kid Cudi I think Travis Scott is better on his own and letting people into his universe than when he's a featured artist or does like these one-offs with Cactus you know these different other kind of collaborative projects I just his albums each of them are universes you know yeah unattended well before we wrap it up Justin I'm gonna give you the heads up so you can be thinking about this um we Jake and I end with the song of our song of the week, mm. but before but before we get to that, um, I also want to acknowledge that we lost uh, another icon this weekend uh, in Little Richard. Um, you know, he was definitely before any of our eras, but we all know the history and what he meant for rock and roll. And um, you know, Prince is arguably my favorite artist of all time clearly the influence was there like um you know he is uh he, he had as much influence as as anyone over the last like 50 years in terms of his style you know just um you know his flamboyance all of it um he was one of a kind so i want to like uh, express acknowledgement for that too you know? definitely little richard you know put uh was one of the people that put jimmy hendrix on a true rock and roll pioneer and 
I challenge anyone, if you're not familiar with the music, listen to it. It sounds great. And this morning, I don't know if either of you know this, but uh, Betty Wright passed away too. Oh, wow. Um, so it's crazy how deaths happen in, in bursts like that. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of legends, especially of, of music and black music are, are passing away in 2020. And uh, yeah, it's important to take time and, and, you know, say their names, listen to their music, highlight their accomplishments. Yeah. Are these all COVID related? I know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of them was complications from COVID. Lil uh, Richard was I know cancer. I know it was a heart attack, but what's, yeah. uh, I could be wrong. But Little Richard was cancer. Cancer? Okay. Yeah. I don't know with Betty Wright. I know she was up there, and I, it's not for me to speak on Andre Harrell. I don't know when I read the reports in Variety and Billboard yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Justin, have you kept up with, with Scarface? Have you talked to him since all this stuff happened? I've reached out to him a few times. We haven't connected. So, I, you know, I, uh, he's my prayers every day. He just got, yeah, he got hit very hard. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for joining us. I hope that uh, this this is the first of many. Uh, you know, and I'm down anytime you guys are willing to have. This <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. Love the debates as always. Good, to, good to showcase them for everybody else. I've jumped on your IG at times and argued right. with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but song of the week, uh, I'll give it to you first, Justin. What's your song of the week? Song of of the week, Mozzie featuring King Von. And G Herbo Body Count. It's the third track on Mozzie's sixth album, uh, Beyond Bulletproof. It's a drill mission, right? One thing that's interesting about this Mozzie album is that he's still in that coded, you know, everything I say has to be 100% true. Let's handle this street stuff in this way for half the project. And, you know, I think it's limiting, narrow in a, in a way if you're not in the loop or in the know when an artist spends that much time talking about stuff that you can't Google. But this version right here, it comes out raw, right? And it's a up-tempo drill style. Mozzie doesn't use that much. But King Von has the best verse to me. He has everything that sounds like everything I ever loved about Lazy Bone, from the octave to the cadence to the pace. He says things that are accidentally funny, like uh, when he says... I graduated from drive-bys when I'm in the car. Ain't no stopping that stop signs. Like, I just like the way that sounds. It makes me laugh a whole lot. And it's, um, it brought me into this King Von wormhole where all he does is tell stories. And Took Her to the O is hilarious. Uh, he's always talking junk about these guys from 63rd. Anytime I have a song that makes me want to go other places, find more information, go Google things, that is generally the song of the week for me and Mozzie's body count featuring King Von G Herbo off of Bo- off of beyond bulletproof did that for me. Mm. That's dope. That's dope. Jake, how about you? Yeah. King Von's on the rise as is of course, Mozzie and, and Herbo. I'm going, uh, I'm going classic with me. I'm going diamond D in the uh, psychotic neurotics. Uh, I went for mine, just a classic record of people are familiar with the beat, uh, Busta Rhymes and Swiss beats reused it with DJ scratch, but uh, it's, probably my favorite diamond d joint more than sally you know more than best kept secret it's inspirational um great rhyming great production i think he made it with jazzy J, you know who is hip-hop royalty and and yeah i've just been enjoying stunts blunts and hip-hop this week no pun intended that's dope uh you know until last night i would have gone with dolce and gabbana dalai lama from um guap dad 4000 uh it's really musical and it was the you know i'd started listening to the ep because i wanted to find out what the kid was all about 
the first couple songs didn't grab me. I wasn't right in the right headspace. But the third song, which is this, I was very, very musical and made me realize that he was different than a lot of the stuff you're hearing and, you know, wanted me to dig in and go back and listen to more. And the second time around, I loved it all. But uh, I love those kind of contrasts of like ignorance and like enlightenment, you know, and, um, you know, he he does it very well on the stripes. So I, I dig that. But uh, it was eclipsed by Roland Hills last night. You know, I've heard that song before. Um, I had the opportunity to sit with Jill. She came, played music for myself and like maybe three or four other people when that album dropped and she just told stories. One of the stories she told was uh, um, this song. Um, uh, it's uh, the Boom Boom um, Suite where she was just sitting with some Grand Marnier and singing and she's dropping the vocals and everything. And then, you know, she just caught it. And she just started slipping into a whole other song that she freestyled. And the band went with her and started playing a completely different song. And if you go back and listen to that album, you'll hear it's it's both it's both parts that kept the whole thing. But she's just immensely talented. And, and uh, hearing that song last night reminded me just how gifted she is. Um, and yeah, it just, it touched me. So Rolling Hills, she's giving game, talking about the power that women have and not to give it away for free, you know, so it's good. Word. Word. Yo, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. I love you guys. I hope you have a healthy week, all right? Yeah. Likewise, you too, brothers. Word. All right. Later, Jits. Yeah.